everyone. Welcome back to Here in Apologetics. As always, brought to you by you with your support on Patreon.com. Today, I'm joined by Tim Sao. I probably just pushed that last name. I apologize. He's an assistant professor of philosophy and humanities at Graham University and an adjunct professor of philosophy at Park University. Um, we're going to be talking about is eating, eat, eating meat ethical from a philosophical standpoint. Um, but Tim, uh, welcome. How are you doing? I am doing great. I'm pleased to be here. Yeah, so it should be a lot of fun. I'm excited for this topic. Um, can you talk a little bit about like who you are and like what you do to get started here and like what gets you interested in topics like um, is it moral to eat meat? Sure. So I, I'm a philosopher. Specifically, I, I specialize in ethics and political philosophy. And it's sort of uh, the hot areas now in, in philosophy. You'd be talking about ethics and politics. It's where all the jobs are at. Um, I, I, I got into philosophy through studying apologetics. Uh, I was uh, big into it in high school. I just kept getting more and more interested and started reading some philosophy and decided when I had to pick a major in college that I'd major in philosophy, not quite knowing at the time what I would do uh, <laughs> with a philosophy degree. And, you know, as it just happened to turn out, the, the Lord was watching over me and gave me a, a full-time teaching position in philosophy, which is extremely hard to get these days, um, especially given the nature of my work. I've I've published on pretty much every single controversial topic you can think of, you know, guns, sex, drugs, eating meat, you know, corporal punishment, immigration, abortion. Um, and I defend a traditional conservative perspective on all these, all, all these topics. And so uh, I am a pretty controversial guy, uh, but you know, it's, it's, it's the work I love doing and I don't mind being controversial. Uh, people need to say the stuff that, uh, you know, I'm saying so. Yeah. What got you interested in like doing like the super controversial subjects, like all the things you just mentioned where a lot of people are like, just maybe like, well, like want to run away and avoid these topics. Yeah. I, I actually got into these topics because I, I've, I mean, I've, I've, for most of my life, I've been conservative leaning. And when I was in college studying philosophy, I, you know, I took a class in political philosophy and I was wondering, well, um, I have these these beliefs. Uh, has anyone actually written on them? You know, I, I I've been really conserved about about you know, sex, guns, drugs, immigration, all these topics, and surprisingly, there hasn't been much written on many of these topics. Um, you know, on gun control, for example, I've done a lot of work on that. Uh, prior to the the work I've done, there really hasn't been much. Uh, same thing for drugs. I, I defend a strict prohibitionist perspective and. You know, the number of philosophers who defend that position, I can count on one hand. Same thing for, you know, uh, topics like corporal punishment, which, which I published a paper on last year. I don't think anyone has published on that. And I think I was the first one to publish a short little paper on that. But, I, you know, I, I would have these conservative beliefs and I didn't see any good work being done on them. And I thought, well, I better fill that niche. And so I started writing, especially the meat stuff. Uh, you know, environmental ethics is up and coming these days in ethics. It's it's where all the new work is being done. And most people eat meat. You know, I eat meat. I've always eaten meat. And I've always not really, I, I thought it was, you know, obvious, common sense that eating meat is completely fine. Well, uh, most people, I'd probably say 97, 98% of people who work in environmental ethics think that there are serious moral problems with eating meat. And the number of philosophers who defend the moral permissibility of eating meat, I can count on one hand. Hmm. Uh, Peter Carruthers, the late Roger Scruton, um, Carl Cohen, 
that's, I mean, in the late Tabor Mock, and that's pretty much everyone um, that defends the moral permissibility of eating meat. And so I, I thought to myself, well, you know, people, pretty much everyone eats meat. And yet, why are all these philosophers so vehemently against it? Especially when I was in grad school, many of the grad students were vegetarians or vegans, and they were pretty pretty open and dogmatic about it. And so I thought, well, I better tackle these arguments uh, because the ideas in the academy will filter down to you know the, the average person. So these these ideas have to be addressed. And so that's what got me started on writing on on eating meat. But that same pattern, you know, is what motivates me to write on all these controversial topics where, you know, people just have work hasn't been done on them. And so I, I, I come in, so I fill in that gap. And so that's given me sort of an infamous reputation in philosophy for being the person who defends all these conservative positions. And I, I make no apologies for that. I'm, I'm glad to be doing that. Yeah, I appreciate your work, and it's good to have people um, challenging maybe like the status quo, especially on like these big social issues. So I'm curious, just to start off, could you talk about like what's a general case for saying like eating meat is immoral? What what does that look like if if I'm a like a vegetarian or vegan philosopher saying you know we shouldn't be eating like things like chickens and cows and such? Yeah, so if you want to learn the the basic case for why eating meat is seriously wrong. I recommend an article by James Rachels titled The Basic Argument for Vegetarianism. Uh, and the, the argument that Rachel Rachels gives is uh, common to a, a quite a few philosophers. So Peter Singer gives a version of it. Um, uh, you know, what's his name? Alistair Norcross gives a version of it. Marlon Engel gives a version of it. Nathan Nobis gives a version of it. And the argument's basically, uh, it's wrong to cause unnecessary pain. You know, it, if if there is a justified reason to cause pain, that's one thing. But it's wrong to cause unnecessary pain. And given that we can, uh, you know, keep ourselves uh, healthy without having to eat meat through you know alternative diets, eating meat is not necessary for nutrition. And so, therefore, eating meat, uh, the, the pain involved in animal agriculture and killing animals, uh, factory farming, so on, isn't necessary. Therefore. Um, you know, it's prima facie morally wrong to eat meat. So the argument's really basic. All it depends on is the idea that uh, being able to feel pain is a minimal criteria for having uh, moral status. As, as long as you grant that, the argument works. And so my work has been actually questioning that assumption. I don't think sentience or the ability to feel pain is uh, a property that confers moral standing. And there's other there's other arguments. So you can make the uh, you know the Tom Reagan argument where animals have rights, animals are subjects of a life, and therefore they have rights. And then you know you can build off a case for that. But the really the basic argument doesn't require adherence to rights. And in fact, someone like Peter Singer, who is sometimes touted as like one of the forefathers of the animal rights movement, doesn't actually believe in rights. Peter Singer is a utilitarian, a preference utilitarian, and at least uh, you know uh, when he was writing Practical Ethics. Uh, and Singer thinks the language of rights is a convenient shorthand, but he doesn't, he doesn't actually believe in rights. And so mm -hmm. you can you can build a case against eating meat without having to appeal to rights, as long as you think sentience or the ability to feel pain uh, confers moral standing. Uh, that gets you off the ground for the case against eating meat. 
Mm. So I'm curious now, like, how would you respond? Like, if we have these arguments where it's kind of saying, like, um, you know, we can just be just fine being a vegetarian or vegan, whatever. Um, we can get the nutrition. Um, but so we don't have to kill these animals. We're inflicting this, like, unnecessary pain on these things. So it'd be immoral. So how do you respond to, like, that kind of argument um, that says that eating meat would be immoral? Yeah, so there are a number of strategies, and I prefer one of them. So one strategy is to say, and I, I know some people would do this, they say, well, we actually do have to eat meat. Uh, you can't get certain nutrients or certain, you know, uh, uh, vitamins or whatever through a plant-based diet. And so the argument there would be the pain caused to animals in you know the whole process is in fact necessary for our nutrition. The rejoinder to that though would be is the amount of pain that we cause them is that necessary? You know, you you might be able to make an argument that okay, eating meat is sometimes necessary, but I suspect the uh, uh, the, the vegan activists would push back and say that well, you know, look at factory farming. Is all that really necessary? Maybe we, maybe they'll cave you know a bit and say, okay, I'll grant you this, I'll grant you that, but they'll still say the vast majority of what we do to animals is morally impermissible. My preferred strategy is to say that sentience, the ability to feel pain, does not confer moral status, and so just because something can feel pain doesn't mean uh, that it has you know, an interest or a moral interest in continuing to live. And the, the argument I give, and I, I, I spell this out in a number of papers, and, and if, if you're interested, I contributed two years ago to a book edited by uh, Paul Copan and Wes Jameson, uh, two essays in there, uh, which I lay out the case for eating meat in very simple, you know, terms that someone without an advanced degree in philosophy could understand. So if you're interested, the book is What Would Jesus Eat? And I have two chapters in there. The chapter that I uh, lay out the case for eating meat is chapter five, there's nothing morally wrong with eating meat. But the argument is that when it comes to sentience, sentience, the ability to feel pain, is just one of many other welfare conditions. A welfare condition is just an indication that your life is going well or ill. So uh, take, for example, you know, plants. Plants have many welfare conditions. If I if I cut off a leaf, if I cut off the stem, you know, the plant will uh, it, its its welfare is damaged. Now, plants have welfare conditions. Animals have welfare conditions too. Their welfare their their welfare conditions are more complex. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, um, sentience doesn't really contribute anything to a being's life beyond just a welfare condition. Now, you might ask, well, surely sentience, you know, if I cause pain to you, that pain matters, the pain hurts you, mm -hmm. and that's morally relevant, right? And I would say, yeah, it is morally relevant, but it's morally relevant not on account of the pain, but on account of some further property. And what a lot of the uh, philosophers running on this topic, what they like to do is they start with the assumption that, you know, yeah, the ability to feel pain, that's obviously uh, a condition for having moral standing. But if you look at it more carefully, it's not the, the, the conceptual connection is not there. Think about the concept of moral standing. What does it mean to have moral standing? Well, what is to know what moral standing consists of? You have to know what morality is about. You know, what is mm. what is morality about? To know who counts in the moral community, we have to know what morality is about, right? And so think about morality. Well, I think everyone can agree that morality is at its core about the pursuit of what is good and avoiding what's evil. It's pursuing good, avoiding evil, the most basic mm -hmm. axiom of morality. Well, 
in order to pursue what's good and to avoid what's evil, you have to be capable of understanding what's good, what's good for you and what's not good for you. You have to know moral concepts. So you have to be capable of reasoning. You have to have an intellect capable of knowing, hey, this thing is fulfilling for me. This thing is good. And this other thing is bad. I shouldn't, I shouldn't pursue it. I should avoid it. And so moral standing is tied inherently to the concept of rationality. You can't have moral standing unless you have rationality. Why? Because rationality is necessary to understanding the good as good and the bad as the bad. And you think about, you know, uh, animals. Animals don't have that ability. Animals don't have the ability to reason. Animals have really complex mental behavior, but that mental behavior doesn't seem to be the kind of behavior relevant to moral standing. If it, if it, if it was relevant to moral standing, then animals would be under responsibilities, moral duties to each other, rights presuppose mm. duties. And so uh, you, you think about sentience, right? Sentience is just, you know, uh, a psychological um, property. You know, it, it, it's, it indicates the presence of a subject who is able to, to feel. But that's, that has nothing to do with the ability to understand what's good and what's not good, what's, what's bad. And so um, sentience might make a being's psychological life more complex, but there is no inherent link between sentience and rationality. And so rationality is what's doing the work here. Rationality is what makes it wrong for you to punch me. If you punch me in the face, mm -hmm. yes, you cause me pain, but ultimately the reason why it's wrong to punch me has to do with the fact that I am a moral being. I am a being capable of, you know, uh, pursuing what's good, avoiding what's evil. My well-being matters to morality because I can understand, articulate, and fulfill what morality requires of me. And so I have moral standing, not because I feel pain, but because I am rational. And my ability to feel pain becomes morally salient because I am a rational being. My interests are moral interests because I am a rational being. And so animals don't have rationality. Uh, the best evidence suggests that animals just don't have that. And so animals don't have uh, uh, moral status altogether. Uh, we, we can talk about rights, but I would, I would uh, you, you can distinguish between, you know, different levels of moral standing. Some philosophers do that. I'm not sure I'm convinced by that, but I would just say animals don't have any, any, any kind of moral standing whatsoever. Uh, it's not as if moral standing is a, you know, uh, this is this gradualist thing where some beings have more, some beings have less. Uh, on the account I defend, you either have moral standing or you don't have moral standing. It's not something that can come in degrees. And so human beings have moral standing because human beings are of a rational category or rational kind. Animals are not, therefore animals don't have rational standing. And so therefore we can, we can use animals for our purposes without violating any kind of interests they might have. That's the case in a nutshell. Um, I go into mm -hmm. it in a lot more detail in the book chapters and in my peer-reviewed articles. Yeah, so I'm so a big part of like what's doing the work here, I think, um, with your kind of argument is saying that animals and humans aren't on the same like moral level in a sense. Um, so like humans have a much more higher like moral value than animals because um, animals would lack like some of the like, basic or maybe not basic, but just capacities for like rationality. Is that kind of like what's doing a lot of the work here for like your argument for why it's like okay to eat animals because they don't have the same rational capacity? Yeah, the, the argument I defend isn't really unique to me. Uh, maybe some of the uh, the arguments I give are, but the account all goes all the way back to someone like Aquinas. And Aquinas thought that uh, you know, rationality, 
uh, you know, the ability to pursue good and, and avoid evil. You know, that that is what's the the, the hallmark of the moral life. And so mm -hmm. uh, sometimes you know, there are some philosophers who think that the account I defend is a Kantian account, and it does bear a lot of similarities to what Kant says. But I ultimately go go back to Aquinas uh, uh, in 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 this view, uh, the view I take towards animals. So I, I I would I would say though I I don't follow someone like Descartes. And saying that animals are purely, you know, automatons or machines. I do think animals have a mental life. There's a lot of evidence that animals have a mental life. I just don't think their mental life is the kind of mental life relevant to moral standing. So, um, so you say that like animals lack status because they just have they don't have the same like activity or like same mental activity or rationality that like humans do. Like there's there's just like this big difference here, which makes it okay um, for the, for us to be, like use them as like for sustenance, subsistence and stuff. So yeah, the argument I defend ties into natural law morality. So mm -hmm. morality is about pursuing what's good and avoiding what's evil. Okay, well, what, what is good? Well, on the natural law account, what is good is what's fulfilling of you. So uh, good refers to the fulfillment of functions or capacities or dispositions. And so for a being to pursue what's good, it must understand its nature. It must understand that, okay, I am built for this thing and that whatever goal is corresponds to the fulfillment of this faculty. It must understand its nature. It must understand the concept of something as fulfilling. Now, animals pursue things, you know, the animals will, you know, eat, drink, reproduce. They'll do these things, but not under the guise of those things being good for it. Right. So, so animals have behaviors, complex behaviors, but they lack the appropriate moral categories to to make those behaviors moral behaviors. Mm, awesome. So what I have for you now is I have like three kind of objections that either um, you cover in like some of your work or just things that I kind of came up with or I was just thinking about um, as we get into this. And one of these ideas is um, it'll say like maybe animals don't have all of these same capacities. Like that seems very obviously to be true. Like animals don't have the same rationality and like consciousness and stuff that we do, even if they maybe have some. Um, yeah, it still might be immoral because they might have some of these capacities. Like maybe the animal can't be as rational as us or understand things like we can, but they possess some of that capacity. So why, why do you think it's okay to kill them if they maybe possess some of that capacity to maybe do some very basic levels of like rationality or something along mm -hmm. those lines? Yeah, so you either have rationality or you don't. Uh, now, mm -hmm. uh, there, there are some philosophers who, who talk about rationality as this kind of, graded thing you know you have some rationality more rationality and more rationality along a continuum i don't think of rationality in that way i i defend the traditional aristotelian account of rationality where you know, to be rational in the sense that gives you moral standing is to have an agent intellect is to have a a, a mind capable of abstracting essences or universals and animals might be really smart but they don't have an intellect capable of abstracting universals. An animal can't understand its nature or comprehend something as good for its nature. It just does what it does. And so, again, I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm not denying that animals are really smart. They can, they can perform all sorts of complex behaviors. But you can explain all of that without having to attribute, you know. Uh, these higher order concepts of you know universals, abstraction, generalization to them. You know, if if a you know if if a dog uh, you know plays with me and and uh, you know acts as if 
the dog understands what I'm saying. Well, one one way of putting that is just, well, the dog's just responding to its, its input-output kind of stuff. It's The mm -hmm. dog doesn't have the concept of me being its master. It just does, you know, uh, something that makes it feel good. And it doesn't have to have those concepts. Uh, and so you can explain animal behavior in terms of, um, you know, purely instinctual uh, categories. And, and I would say if animals did have the same kind of intellect that we did, and I would say the kind of intellect that's relevant for moral behavior is the kind of intellect that we have. I'm not saying they must have the same kind of brain we have. They just have to have the same kind of intellect we have. And if animals did have the same kind of intellect we, we do have, then two things would be true. First, there would be no reason why animals uh, couldn't achieve the same levels of you know things that humans have done because the kind of intellect relevant for moral standing is not limited. The power of abstraction, the power of generalization, of comprehending universals is not something that's limited to the here and now. Animals, if they had our intellect, would be able to do the same things we do. Uh, and the fact that we don't see that is evidence they don't have the kind of intellect relevant to moral standing. Second, if they did have the kind of intellect relevant to moral standing, if they did understand the ideas, the ideas of good and evil, well, then they would be under moral duties. You know, the lion would be under a moral duty not to kill a zebra. And yet we see this happen in nature all the time, and we don't think they're responsible. In the end, the lion just kills a zebra, and it's it's just that. We don't put the lion on trial. And so our reluctance to attribute responsibility, you know, guilt, praise, blame, those categories to animals is evidence that we don't actually think animals are moral beings. Um, and so now one response to this uh, from animal rights activists and philosophers running on this topic because I am confusing moral agency with moral patiency. A moral agent is a being who is capable of fulfilling moral duties. A moral patient, as Tom Reagan puts it, is just a subject, a passive subject of, of rights. And on the account of rights I defend, that just doesn't make sense. That's incoherent. You can't have a purely moral patient. To to be a moral being is to be under the demands of morality. You are not a moral subject. If so, so morality is about the pursuit of good and the avoidance of evil. If you're not capable of doing that, you're not a moral being at all. Um, now that also goes into the argument from marginal cases, you know, and you probably have this, you know, uh, prepared. But uh, one common objection is that well, if animals don't have rights, what about, or animals don't have moral standing, what about babies? What about mm -hmm you know, people in comatose states, they can't actively reason. Do they not have moral standing? Mm -hmm. And the response to that would be, they do have moral standing uh, on account of the fact that they are members of a rational kind or rational category. All human beings <clears throat> have the ability to reason, even if that ability is not being expressed, right? The reason why, so we, we think of, uh, you know, uh, someone who is severely mentally disabled or someone who is comatose as being in some kind of impaired or damaged state because they have something that should be functioning in a certain way, but that's damaged or impeded from functioning. In other words, there's a capacity that should be being realized. The capacity should mm -hmm. be manifested, but there's something blocking that capacity from being realized. But the capacity is still there, that underlying basic capacity so I mean, take a different take take a take a human being who is blind and a, and a rock, right? Uh, both are unable to see, but the human beings, the blind human beings, 
inability to see is different from the rock's inability to see. The human being should see, and there's something off or disabled or damaged about that human being's eyes in that there's something that should be functioning a certain way. There's a capacity oriented towards realization that's not being realized, whereas a rock just doesn't have that capacity to begin with. And so, you know, infants, children, uh, the severely mentally disabled count as moral beings because they have a basic capacity to think that is just being blocked or that's damaged. And the reason why we can say that, you know, uh, there's, there's something off about someone who has mental disabilities or that, uh, you know, a child is immature is, is that, you know, we have this account of, of rational capacity that should be realized, but either it's, it's the, the physical vehicle for exercising that capacity is not yet fully developed or it's damaged, but the capacity is still there. And that's what explains the difference between an animal and say a human child. The animal will never reason. It's reasoning is not proper to an animal. Whereas reasoning is proper to a human being, it's just that in some cases, it's the capacity is blocked, but the capacity is still there. And the capacity being there is what allows us to um, say that, well, you know, it's immature or that there's a defect, right? If it, you, it, it makes no sense to talk about a defect if there isn't a way something isn't, if, if there isn't a way something is supposed to be. Mm. That was sort of a mouthful, but that, that sort of <laughs> encompasses a several objections to my view. Yeah, it's great. You covered a lot of stuff there in that little bit. There, there was a comment that was like, um, what about the like the objection you were talking about? Like, what about like babies or people with Down syndrome? Um, like, how do you do that with regards to like um, your view, your argument for like why it's okay to eat meat? Um, one more objection I have for you here is the idea of like, wouldn't this open the door to say like animal cruelty? Um, so you could say like, okay, well, someone could say, okay, I'm better than an animal. I have these like capacities of like higher rationality and more. Uh, I'm a moral agent and things like that. Um, these animals aren't, or they have very minimal of these things. Um, so it'd be, it's okay for me to torture an animal just because I want to, because I'm greater than it or things like that. So how do we kind of like look at that um, where someone may say you're kind of like opening the door for like animal cruelty with your kind of like moral system here? Yeah, I, I would say that just because something doesn't have moral status doesn't mean that we can do whatever we want to it. I would follow uh, Aquinas and Kant on this in saying that the wrongness of animal cruelty uh, is explained in part by what we do to another being, but what makes it ultimately wrong is what it, the, the effects it has on ourselves. So, I mean, here's an example. It doesn't involve an animal or anything that's that's um, sentient. I mean, for example, let, let's say that I create a realistic effigy of you. You know, I, I build a you know, life-size sculpture of you, and I burn you. You know, and and I and I shout profanities, insult as I as I burn you in effigy. Well, clearly there's something off about that, even though I'm not I'm not harming anything. You know, I, I'm 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 destroying the effigy, right? But it shows a depraved mind on my part. And for animal cruelty, I would say that yes, the animals don't have moral standing, but when we mistreat animals, it shows something to be depraved about our minds. And so animal cruelty is wrong because of what it does to ourselves. Now it's through harming the animal that we harm ourselves, right? But it ultimately is not uh, something that has to do with the interests of the animal per se as a moral being, rather the wrongness of animal cruelty comes back to ourselves. And that's, I mean, that's what, that, that's what um, when, when it comes to cruelty, 
right? I, I think that is what um, constitutes the difference between, say, you know, if I were to, God forbid, you know, take up a dog, you know, pick up a dog and just strangle it because I really hate dogs and just wanted to see it mm -hmm. suffer, right? As opposed to, you know, uh, putting down an animal because it's 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 ill and it because you know it's I don't want it to see it suffer any further. And I, I in 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 both cases you're killing something, but the difference between the two is a state of mind, right? In one case, you know, I, I wish harm upon something. In another case, I don't wish harm. I, I want to be compassionate. And so I think cruelty ultimately comes down to uh, considerations about the wrongness of cruelty is explained in terms of what it does to yourself. Now, it's again, it's through harming the animal that you harm yourself. And so the animal animal's interests are instrumental in that, but ultimately it goes back to yourself, not the animal. Mm. One more objection I have for you, and we'll open up if you for people watching live. If you have like questions or things like that, we'll be sure to get through some of those. And also, if there's super chats, we'll get through those. Um, but it's the idea that this is probably the thing I hear the most is we just live in an advanced society. Um, like we're here in the West, we just don't need to eat meat. Um, maybe you're right. You know, this could all be true, but we just don't need to. It just get it just adds suffering to this world when it, we just don't need to add it because we can just live as like vegetarians or vegans and something, and just not have to have eat animals and just add the extra suffering. So how would you kind of respond to that kind kind of objection here? Yeah, I actually think this, this sort of ties into one version of the problem of evil known as a problem hmm. of animal suffering. And according to this version of the problem of evil, animal suffering is something that matters. Well, one interesting thing about the account of moral status that I defend is that if the account of moral status I defend is correct, there is no problem of animal suffering because animals because suffering in general is not a moral evil. Now, the suffering of moral agents might be a moral evil, but suffering in general is actually not a moral evil. Now, that's sort of a bit off topic, but going back to the general question, is it necessary to eat meat? Well, depends on what you mean by necessary. Is it essential to us that we eat meat? Well, I suppose that I could get by if you just hook me up to an IV all day and fed me nutrients and, you know, stuff like that. I, I guess it's not essential that I eat meat in that sense. And I, th I think, you know, the the, the pro-vegan arguments, uh, I think they do have a point when they say that strictly speaking, we can survive without eating meat. It's not absolutely necessary, like the same way that oxygen is necessary. I think there's something to that. Um, mm -hmm. Nevertheless, I still think, you know, okay, fine. It's not, it's not essential to us in that sense. But hey, I like eating meat. It tastes good. Uh, you know, I love bacon. And animals don't have a uh, moral status. So I will continue to eat bacon, even if it's not strictly speaking, absolutely essential. I'm not doing anything wrong. Uh, so that's, that would honestly just be my reply. I, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't see a moral obligation here to reduce animal suffering because animal suffering in itself is not morally salient. It all goes back to its effects on human beings. So if you could make the case that, well, eating large amounts of meat, uh, ultimately is damaging to human well-being, which some vegan philosophers do make, uh, then you might have something there. But honestly, I, I, I don't see the force of that argument if my account of moral status is, if it works out. So do you think that like animals experience pain? Oh yeah, animals definitely do experience pain. I just deny that experiencing pain is morally relevant or morally salient. 
Okay, awesome. Just making sure we're on the right track there. Um, what we do, what we'll do now is we'll open up to a little bit of like questions. If you have questions or pushbacks and like that, um, we'll be sure to answer those. And if you want to send a super chat and support the show, that's always appreciated as well. Um, Jono Staker says here, um, is he asking us to disagree with the American Academy of Nutrition and Dietics um, who say that properly planned vegan diets are healthy for all stages of life? So I think that was getting back to the earlier where maybe it seemed like you might have been saying that. A healthy the healthiest diet mm -hmm. involves me but i don't remember the exact comment that he's referring to here oh, yeah. do you have any ideas uh, here tim there are some people who make that argument i don't i'm happy to concede that point you know and and as i as i just said i'm i i think we can get by just purely on a, a carefully planned vegan diet so i i don't think the nutrition argument is a is a good argument there are some people who defend it but i would just go straight for the jugular and say that feeling pain isn't at all relevant to moral standing. And so even if eating meat is not essential to my survival, it's still morally permissible. Okay. Um, another question here, um, or pushback from Bronson, which says, um, he said, like the pushback in the idea that animals aren't rational. He thinks that they do have some understanding, but they can't articulate since they don't have the same linguistic abilities as humans do. So do you have, um, he talks about Pavlov's, Pavlov's dog a little bit further here, but do you have kind of like any ideas about this, Tim? Yeah, um, I, I talk about this a bit in, in the uh, research I've written and I can't summarize all of it here. There is an interesting book by Kyle Kelt uh, titled Thomism and, and the Problem of Animal Suffering in which he has a chapter where he goes into all of the cognitive science about animal cognition and Briefly, what I would say is we have to be clear on what we mean by rational here. I'm not saying animals can't think. Animals can think. But I'm, I'm saying, what I'm, rather what I'm saying is that the kind of thinking relevant for moral status is not the kind of thinking that any animal has. And the kind of thinking relevant for moral status is having what is traditionally called an agent intellect. It's having a mind capable of apprehending concepts, making generalizations from those concepts, understanding the essence of something. Um, and that kind of reasoning is uh, the kind of reasoning that human beings have. It's what allows us to understand the concept of good as fulfilling. It's what allows us to understand the idea of, you know, uh, something is, is, worthy of being pursued something is something i should not pursue right those concepts uh are well that that kind of intellect right is is what's relevant for moral standing and animals just don't seem to have that animals have um here and now kind of reasoning animals can you know animals can make tools animals can quasi communicate i i i i don't know if I want to say they can actually communicate in the way we communicate. Uh, animals can have complex behaviors. I just, I'm not saying they don't. I just don't think those behaviors are the kind of behaviors relevant to moral standing. I mean, I, I would I would frame it this way. Doesn't animal, can an animal ever understand the concept of something as being morally good or the idea of a moral obligation? Can an animal understand that in principle? I don't think they can. Uh, and so it's not so much animals uh, don't have enough of something, rather animals are not, they just don't have that kind of intellect at all to begin with. And if they did, I would say, and I gave two challenges to this before, if animals did have the kind of reasoning relevant for moral standing, then first they would be under obligations to each other. If animals really could understand the concept of good and evil, 
well, then they would be morally responsible. And so we would be, um, you know, uh, obligated to punish certain animals for killing other animals uh, because they're morally responsible. We, we, we balk at that. Of course we shouldn't punish the lion for killing the zebra. The lion doesn't know any better. Better, And so that's evidence that whatever kind of intelligence we ascribe to animals, we don't actually think it's a kind of intelligence relevant to moral standing. The second problem, as I alluded to earlier, is that if animals did have the kind of reasoning relevant to moral standing, it would not be limited to the here and now. The, cons the ability to generalize, the ability to comprehend abstractions, that kind of knowledge is knowledge that makes civilization possible. We don't see animals producing works of literature. We don't see animals producing, you know, works of art or philosophy or theology. And it's because animals don't have the kind of intellect that allows them to understand concepts and categories and abstractions like that. And so, uh, you know, again, animals are pretty smart, but they're smart in their own way, not in the kind relevant for moral standing. I'm curious, um, we we're going to get to a few more questions here for a second, but you talked about like with like animal suffering and how it may not even be um, a problem necessarily under your view. There's the famous like, analogy uh, like Roe Fawn, um, I believe it's Roe, where he talks about, you know, there's the fawn in the forest fire and it burns and gets trapped under a tree and it suffers and dies. Um, so like under your view, um, is that really even a problem for like the theist to answer like under like kind of like the way you view like morality and like suffering in, in regards to like the problem of evil? No, it's not. I would just say, so I would distinguish between different kinds of badness. You have badness and then you have moral badness. So generally, just really at the most basic level, something is bad if it is not conducive to something's well-being. So, you know, if I dig up a plant, right, and I eat that plant, what's, that's definitely not conducive to the plant's well-being. Uh, it's bad in that sense, but it's not a moral evil because the plant's well-being doesn't matter. It's not a moral being. Same thing for animals. Uh, because moral standing is tied to rationality, uh, animal suffering is really no different uh, from any other kind of badness in the world. Uh, and the problem of evil, as traditionally framed, is a problem of moral evil. I mean, I guess there are, there are problems of natural evil and stuff like that, but uh, what gives a problem of animal suffering its its pull, as I as, as the way I've seen it framed, is that there is something morally significant about animal suffering, and I would just deny that. I don't think animal suffering is morally significant, and so there is no moral problem with a fawn that dies in the forest. In Rose example. Mm, okay, um, we have a few more questions here, so I appreciate your your time here, Tim. Um, from Jono, it says again um, a little bit different, but also in kind of like the natural law theory basis. Like, how would you respond to the is ought gap objection? I know it's not directly related to like is it ethical for Christians to eat meat, mm -hmm. but I think because we're talking about like natural law theory and such, like what do you think about this question? Yeah, so the is ought problem refers to the fact that you can't get a prescription from a description. Uh, you can't move from a description of reality to how reality should be. And that's commonly used as an objection to natural law theory because natural law theory says, well, the way things built, uh, you can read off norms from that. And I would just say that's a misunderstanding of natural law theory. You don't start with a purely descriptive view of reality on natural law theory. You have uh, teleology, and teleology is inherently prescriptive. It's not just that the heart pumps blood. It's that the heart should pump blood. It's not that eyes see, it's that eyes should see. You start with that teleology and then you move 
to another kind of teleology. So you're moving from biological normativity to moral normativity. And what lets you do, what lets you make that move is rationality. Rationality is what adds that moral uh, you know, magic into the equation here. So it's not as if the natural law theorist starts with an is and moves to an ought. The natural law theorist starts with an ought and moves to an ought. There is no is-ought gap on natural law theory, given the Aristotelian metaphysics on which it is based. Mm, awesome. We do have another um, good question here from Jono here. Lots of great questions here over here. But how does Tim reconcile Proverbs 12.10 with his belief that animals don't have moral standing? Um, Proverbs 12.10 in the ESV says, whoever is righteous has regard for the life of a beast of the of his beast but the mercy of the wicked is cruel um so an interesting question i think you're with like christian theology almost i know you've been talking it like from a philosophical angle like how do you look at like um how christians should view like the moral standing of animals and should we care yeah. for animals and like things like that well you can care for something and that thing doesn't have to have moral status uh i think your know, christians are called in general to care for creation as part of the creation mandate uh doesn't mean that every rock every tree every stream you know, all of that, you know, the water has moral standing. It's just part of our responsibility uh, as image bearers of the image of, uh, of, of God to, you know, reflect that order, to reflect the fact that, you know, we're, we're caretakers of the world. We've been entrusted with the world. So you can, you can care for something, right? If, if, you know, if I am asked by my friend to house sit for a week while he's gone, I am under a responsibility, if, if, I, if I agree to that, to take care of his home and his possessions doesn't follow that his home and possessions have moral standing. It's just uh, an obligation that I have to take care of his property that I've assumed. Now, I do want, do want to plug, uh, the, again, the book that I contributed to. There are a few chapters in here uh, that deal specifically with the Christian perspective on eating meat. I know the title of the interview was more, you know, is it ethical for Christians to eat meat? And as a philosopher, I've been talking more about philosophy here. Uh, mm -hmm. But if you want, if you want these specific theological reasons, you know why it's okay to use animals or why it's okay to eat meat uh, from a Christian perspective, it's addressed very well in this book. And, and there are, and I think Scripture is pretty clear that you know uh, it says in Genesis, you know, it's, it's everything that moves and it is given to us for for food. Uh, but there are uh, what are called you know Christian animal rights activists, uh, the Christian animal rights movement. Uh, people who will try to um, adopt an alternative understanding of those scriptures and say, well, actually, scripture is not clear about that. And I think uh, Copan and others do a good job of responding to the arguments in that book. So a plug for the, uh, what would Jesus really eat? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it might be better just retitle this is it ethical to eat meat because we haven't really gotten into the theology. Like I think about in the book of Acts where God tells to Peter, like you can get up and kill and eat. Um, and it seems pretty straightforward, like theologically that there's no, it's not like a sin to eat meat or anything. Um, but we've got through a lot of questions, Tim. So it's been so much fun. Um, do you have any kind of like last thoughts, things you want to say to get off your chest before we um, start to wrap things up here? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've written quite a fair bit on this and um. I would just point anyone who's interested in learning more to the work I've done, especially the two chapters in the Copan and Jameson book. Uh, I think the two chapters there are the most straightforward and easy to understand articulation of my argument. And given that this topic is, or this rather environmental ethics in general is dominated by people who are generally pro-animal rights, I, I 
would like to think I've done a pretty good job anticipating all of their objections. I mean, there's, I, I've, back when I taught um, uh, at a school in Florida, uh, I remember walking to class one day and there were a bunch of people handing out flyers and I took a flyer and I'm like, well, what, what organization are you guys from? And this guy said that he was from Vegan Outreach, uh, you know, and he, he ran through the standard stock vegan arguments. They weren't really impressive. I, I, I got him in a good few places. In a, in a good number of places, uh, but all these arguments for you know veganism that I see paraded all the time—the argument for marginal cases, sometimes called "name the trade"—I think these are just absolutely terrible arguments. Um, and um, once you understand, you know, the framework for having rights and moral status. Uh, these arguments really just fall apart under close scrutiny. And I think one reason why um, uh, people are attracted to these arguments for veganism is that they start on a completely different field when it comes to the moral and anthropological assumptions they make. So I, I, there was one uh, dominant or yeah, one, one pretty common line of reasoning where, you know, on evolutionary theory, if evolutionary theory is true, there is really no categorical difference between men and animals. It's just everything's on the spectrum. And so the common objection that I sometimes hear is that, well, evolutionary theory has shown that men or man is not special. Man is just on a continuum. Uh, everything is just a matter of degree, not a matter of kind. Well, there are actually ways of uh, easily circumventing that objection. I detail one in the book, but the case for eating meat is overdetermined. I think it's pretty clearly obvious that, you know, uh, not just intuitively, but, you know, uh, I think the arguments they give work that animals don't have moral standing. It's okay to eat meat. And, you know, if, if it's weighing on your conscience that, you know, your, your ethical choice to eat meat, don't worry, it's probably okay. Even something like factory farming. I have a paper in which I defend factory farming. Um, as gruesome as it might seem to people who are not in animal agriculture, I can't find anything wrong with factory farming. And I say this as someone who, I, I didn't grow up on a farm, right? And, and you know, some, some of what goes on is kind of, you know, icky. It's kind of disturbing. It'll, it'll remove your appetite, but I can't see anything wrong with it. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that most of what we do with animals is completely fine. I don't even say trophy hunting is fine. I have a paper on that too. Why trophy hunting is fine. Right? Yeah, we were talking beforehand about like how you have a paper for like every controversial like conservative view basically. Um, yeah. Juno said every answer puts a hundred questions in my head and that's why I linked your website below because you can check out all those papers and lots of great stuff. Um, we do have one more question if that's fine with you, Tim. Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Awesome. It's a super chat from C. Fredo. So thank you so much. It's good to see you again, C. Fredo and appreciate your super chat. And he says, if you agree that both animals and humans have morals um is their value based on intellectualism um why not people less intellectual um is it humanism or specialism specialism based so he might be getting a little bit like earlier with like when we were talking about um before with just like things with like less capacity like someone that's like comatose or down syndrome or something um but what are you kind of getting out of the, out of this question tim yeah so there's there's as i read it there's there's two objections here first is speciesism speciesism which I'll, I'll address first. So speciesism is the idea that, um, uh, you know, for human beings at least, human beings are special just because they're human beings. And the, the problem with that is supposed to be that special pleading. You know, what's so special about being human? And my response is that my account is not speciesistic. I am not saying human beings are special just because they're human. 
I am saying that what makes human beings special is that they're rational. But it's conceivable that you could have something rational and not be human. If, if we discovered, you know, rational aliens tomorrow, they would have moral standing even though they're not human. So I am not saying that only human beings have moral value only because they're human. Rather, I'm saying that some further property that humans have, namely rationality, is what makes us special. So the speciesism, the speciesism charge is just completely unfounded. Uh, Peter Singer and others say that, well, any case we're eating meat must boil down to speciesism or, or something like that. I, I don't think that's a charitable way of, uh, of framing it. Now, the second objection is that, well, if you want to base morality or moral value on rationality, rationality seems to be something that comes in degrees. You know, some people are smarter, some people are not as smart. And does that mean that moral value, some people have more rights and some people ha have don't have as many rights? No, I don't think that follows. Um, having moral value is dependent on having a certain kind of intellect, a certain kind of mind. Now, obviously, there will be differences from person to person on how well that mind is able to operate. But the, val the, the ground of moral standing is not based on your activity. It's based on the kind of thing you are. And all humans might um, you know, have variances when it comes to you know, their height, their weight, their, their cognitive ability, their emotional intelligence, all those different kinds of things. But all humans are equal in the, same, in the sense that they have that same rational intellect. And that's what makes uh, everyone, that's what grounds equality, not the degree to which you can think, but the fact that you can engage in those activities, you know, understanding what's good, understanding what's evil, acting accordingly, understanding the concept of an obligation, of a virtue, of, of those things. Uh, that, being able to do that is what gives you moral standing, not, not how well you're able to do that, but just being able to do that. Mm, awesome. Well, it's so well put. And that will be all the questions you have today, Tim. So thank you so much for joining me. It's been so much fun. And I appreciate your work and your defense and not being afraid to dive into um, these very important and controversial topics. So it's been a lot of fun. I encourage everyone, uh, if you check out Tim's website, you can get links to these papers and these books and things like that. And there's just so much more than we can get into in just like a 50 minute interview on so many other topics like factory farming. So in trophy hunting and all kinds of fun stuff, um, I encourage everyone to check that out. And then if you're new to here in apologetics, I always encourage you to subscribe or listen via podcast or YouTube, leave a like, if you're listening on podcast, leave a review that helps. And if you enjoy the show, you can support us on patreon.com. So I should hear in apologetics right now we're about 85% funded. So I appreciate everyone's support there. You can chip in as little as a dollar or two a month and you also if you're listening on youtube you can just become a member so that helps as well but tim thank you so much for your time and your defense it's been so much fun thank you it's great being on yeah it's been great having you and i hope everyone has a good one kelvici fredo gavin jono everyone else have a good one god bless